Here at She's in the Game, we acknowledge that this episode is recorded in the lands of the Wongal people and pay our respects to their elders past, present and emerging and extend that respect to any Aboriginal or Torres Strait Islander people listening with us today. And welcome everyone to episode 12 of She's in the Game. Now, our first cross-code star is joining She's in the Game and there's a reason for this. We're not just She's in the Game for cricket, but She's in the Game for everything. So a little bit of insight into professional athlete life doesn't come from just cricket because there's other amazing female athletes out there. So that's why we have Suncorp Super Netball star Maddie Proud joining us as our first First. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> Roll with it. Be confident. <laughs> First athlete from a different code, and we're stoked to have her. But Mads, you grew up in Adelaide at the age of 16, became the youngest player to receive a professional contract with the Adelaide Thunderbirds. Uh, you've since moved to Sydney and started a journey with the New South Wales Swifts and are currently co-captain of the team, known for probably more the amount of time you spend on the ground <laughs> instead of on your feet on the court. Um, we'll definitely post some of those montages if you can send them through. I'm sure you have 12 them. minutes worth of yeah. them. <laughs> and off the field, a fellow podcaster with your teammate, Maddie Turner, and also author of Grace on the Court. So a bit to chat about here, but welcome. Thank you. I'm so honoured to be the uh, first, I guess, cross player. Although I did, I was in the year five girls, sorry, co-ed cricket team. Yeah, I Only wanted to ask you about that. So I, I don't think you've actually strayed too far in cricket, <laughs> yeah. so we're fine. <laughs> so tell us about that, running, uh, growing up in, in Adelaide and, and a cricket star by the sounds of it in year oh, five. Definitely. So run us through that. Um, what could have been. Yeah, well, <laughs> hey, there's still, I mean, I'm still at the youngish. There's still a cricket. I, I saw there's just a few spare lockers. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. I could have my name on them. Um, but yeah, growing up in Adelaide, I'm the middle child. I've got two brothers, so probably says a lot about my personality and very active parents as well my parents are both sort of in their early to mid 60s and still play tennis every weekend and still very active so I think my dad had me throwing a tennis ball before I could walk and um, just sport was kind of in my blood from a very young age and yeah literally played any possible sport I could I was a big tomboy because I just wanted to always hang out with my brothers or be playing you know whatever sport it was at lunchtime at school and that kind of yeah meant dabbling in a bit of everything Um, cricket was definitely there though (laughs) even to the point where our first pet was a dog that we named Ponty. No way. And my dad is like so, he always claims that we named him Ponting before he was named captain. So it was as if like we You manifested We manifested. So Ricky, if you're listening, you wish you would. He'd be an avid listener. Close friend of the show, Ricky Ponting, thanks. Next week's guest, no spoilers. Um, So yeah, the netball obviously was one of those sports that I think my mum had played, friends were playing at school and kind of the moment I picked up a netball, um, yeah, sort of haven't looked back since. So it doesn't really sound like netball was always the sport for you. When did the shift to netball? Yeah, I think... The Ash Barty, the tennis player. Well, tennis You actually, could have given Ash Barty a run for I, her money. You know, I, I think that every every sports are listening, look out because I could come into your sport. But funny enough, tennis was probably my other main sport growing up. I think netball was sort of the winter sport and then tennis was kind of the summer sport. Um, but, yeah, I guess kind of I feel like when you're at school, you kind of just try and play everything and anything to get a day off school, whether yeah. it's a touch carnival, a European handball carnival, swimming. <laughs> carnival whatever it is but I think I sort of yeah fell in love with netball straight away I think that I love the team element we always sort of talk about netball being that ultimate team sport and the fact that you kind of literally can't get yeah. the ball down the court without each other and um yeah I don't know there was just something about the game that just sort of appealed to me the most and while even when I was really young I sort of kept playing a lot of other sports netball kind of still stood out the most and 
probably wasn't until I got a bit older where you actually, you know, there were times where I was playing three games in a day that you sort of had to start getting rid of some of those other sports. Yeah. And um, once it became, yeah, a bigger part of your life was when I, I got rid of the others. But there was never really probably a choice for me. It was always something that I just kind of knew Nepal would be the one that I, I sort of stuck at. Just vibed it. Just vibed it. I feel like that everyone who we sort of talk to, you know, they grow up playing lots of different sports and I think that's so good for mm-hmm. development as a as a youngster. It does come a time where it's just like, all right, well, mum and dad can't try me to <laughs> here, then here, then here, then here. It's like, yeah. Receiving a contract at 16 for the Thunderbirds, uh, that would have been such an epic moment. Um, how was that trying to process at such a young age? Yeah, it was kind of crazy. I think, you know, you guys feel the same. I feel like when you're young and you're playing sport, you always kind of dream of playing at the professional level. And I remember always being that sort of like, jokester of a kid and kind of a little bit of cockiness and I would sign friends' birthday cards and be like, my signature for when I'm famous and like make all those comments. And I remember like my year nine um, class instead of being like, you know, your teacher's name, your class was named after a different sporting team, um, female sporting team, and I was put in the nine Thunderbirds. And I remember joking to all my classmates being like, oh, it's because they know that I'm going to play for the Thunderbirds That's one day. That's so cool. Kind of manifesting again. Yeah. But I remember even, I always tell the story of I missed out on the under-15 state team when I was sort of top age. And I felt like at that age is when you think like, if I'm and not making it And then a year now, later you get signed oh, professionally. Cool. Like, That's what? what? Like, I literally considered, I was like, I'm quitting netball. Like, I'm going to take up something else with a professional cricketer or a tennis player or something because <laughs> My netball career is over yeah. at 15. Um, but it also was really that kind of awakening again. I'm 15, so it's a pretty big Everything's traumatic then. Yeah, though, always, always. I'm like crying in the car and then the next morning I'm like, I'm not going to netball, but <laughs> I still did. Um, and then I think it probably, in a way, though, was the best thing that could have happened because it kind of made me realise maybe I wasn't as good as I thought I yeah, was and yeah. needed to work a little bit harder. And um, then even the next year I tried out for 17s in the bottom age and that's when I made it and that's sort of where things really progressed, you know, very quickly. And I, I think as well at that age you probably think that it feels like a long time and now when I talk about it I'm like, as you said, it was literally in the space Six, of a year yeah, yeah. that I went from kind of not making a state team, getting in one, sort of getting involved in um, – well, that's sort of how I guess it happened with Thunderbirds is that I then got picked up in the Sassy program, which is yeah. – you guys have ends this I love year. That. So, oh, so I know Sassy is such a good name. It was so Sassy as well. <laughs> South Australian Sports Institute for those listening at home Um, and that kind of exposed us to that daily training environment so it meant you know we were getting up at 5am going to training before school Um, were you a morning person then? No, okay. not at all. I remember, doing like, I remember having like an English assignment and it was like you had to write po- uh, poetry or something. Yeah. Mum was like, 5.20 a.m., like the devil's number. <laughs> so I was like, so dramatic. Like, I don't know why I to remember that, but like I hate it. Like I'd go to bed every night. And like because you would train in the morning and then you'd train at night. <laughs> I hate getting up in the five. I know, it's, it, was it is the devil's hour. Honestly. And I remember in year 12, like we, or maybe it was year 11, you started to get a few free periods. And so I'd just like go back home and go to bed. Um but even my poor dad now looking back, like he would drop me at training at like 5.30, go and walk the dog in like the pitch black and then come back and pick me up and take me to school. Yeah, I'm the one that was really hard done yeah. by. So I'm very excited when I got my licence. Um, but, yeah, with Sassy, that's when we started training with the Thunderbirds. Like if they ever needed, um, you know, someone to train against on a Wednesday night if they were playing a scratch match or something like that, we would come in. Um, and that's, I guess, where the coach of the Thunderbirds at the time, Jane Williams-Thompson, sort of first saw me playing. And then I don't know about you guys, but I feel like a lot of professional sport is about timing. And I think yeah. I got, you know, kind of lucky in that they was, that was sort of going through a rebuilding phase and a few people were retiring. And, um, yeah, there was sort of that that slot for an up-and-coming um, youngster. And <laughs> I luckily got the ball. But even the call itself is a funny story that because I was only 16, yeah. like the coach had to call my mum to get her permission for me to like. So 
signed. So I was like, you know, getting his permission slip signed. Yeah. Like, and I still remember signing the contract and I had this like pathetic autograph. It was like MVP. My name <laughs> line through it. The coach did goes you, like, Did you ever practice like on the shower screen? You know, when I'm like, everybody. What do you mean what? Yeah. Yeah. So, oh, no. Come on. I still draw on the, oh, yeah. the shower. Well, I think we spent the first like season at the Thunderbirds of like whenever we had to spare time, it was like, get the whiteboard out, let's practice what Maddie's yeah. signature's going to be, like she needs something better. <laughs> That's oh. so cool. Wow. And you would have still been in school while then training with the Thunderbirds. Yeah, how did you balance that? Yes, yeah, my first year, I sort of signed when I was 16, so I was at the end of year 11, but then the next season started when I was going into year 12. And um, at the time, Nepal was still um, very sort of semi-professional, so it meant that our training hours were sort of in and around work hours so a lot of other girls were sort of either working full-time or um you know had studying or doing something like that so in terms of the hours it actually worked quite well in that you either trained early in the morning or, or late at night but it just meant yeah a lot of a lot of probably you know stressful nights I think my parents would have hated me in that year like looking back I would just every time an assignment was due or something like that but I feel like when you're busy you become a lot more efficient like I find now that the more time I have the more I procrastinate yeah a bit of TikTok scrolling yes honestly like, thank god TikTok wasn't around when I was in year 12 because I would have been a nightmare but I also was you know lucky that I was a student that kind of got things done quite quickly I think I kind of did my school work like I taught which was quite fast so I sort of was lucky that I, I did love school and I'd done a year 12 subject um, through sort of Nepal in year 11 so I got a few extra periods off and um, you know my school was very understanding you know they gave you extensions or gave you lessons off if you needed and um, even I remember using all the Thunderbirds players we had like one girl who was like a nutritionist one that was like working in you know business or one that was like an exercise physiologist so I was like okay PE homework you're helping me English homework you're That's helping great. me like, I, like I, was, I was very resourceful yeah. Um but yeah, also I guess yeah, a lot of time management skills and yeah, probably feeling tired a lot of the time. But um, yeah, also loved it. Is it kind of similar? Is it similar like in a now? A lot of the girls kind of balancing part time jobs on the side, or is it a bit more you know full time professional athlete? And yeah, it's sort of a mix. So it's still like netball's still only classified as being semi professional, but our training hours are a lot yeah. more than that sort of accounts for and. Um, you know, our, our CPA and our like play association have, have kind of tried to put in rules where you have block out hours that people can work. Yeah. But the issue is like being in Sydney, for example, you kind of can't train in the morning and then come back at night because yeah. if girls don't live around the corner, you're spending half your day in traffic and yeah. you're better off not <laughs> going uh, back. So <laughs> yes, you guys will appreciate that. So we have days where, you know, day like tomorrow you're in from maybe 7, 8 a.m. to 1, 2 o'clock. Yeah, okay. But then, you know, today's a day off. So yeah. you've still got days where, you know, most girls are either studying or doing some sort of kind of work on the side a lot of girls do a lot of coaching because that's a way to just get some easy quick money and um yeah there's there's no one in our team that sort of works full-time and having international players obviously their visas don't allow for it but um yeah since Suncorp Super Netball came in in 2017 I think it is it's definitely been taken to the next level where girls are getting paid more and I think my first contract I signed for sort of eight thousand dollars or something and now the minimum is about 40 so it's definitely kind of heading in that direction but yeah most most girls do something else um but yeah there's definitely not the capacity to kind of do yeah we don't have any year 12 students in our yeah. team like that. we've got a training partner actually and she you know the other day came to training after a school athletics carnival so um <laughs> she fits it in but yeah i don't think there's any full-time players that are still in school or okay. anything at the moment yeah we're sort of moving away from that as well like i think we've got mm-hmm. one who's sort of full-time at times like physio work yeah. and, and it's exciting to see that that's how it's moving but Absolutely. the study side of things is still so important and yeah it's pretty exciting that the game's moving and especially um, for you guys as well and 
um, eight thousand dollars that buy your first car? Well, I think at the time though, I was like, I was living at home, and I was like, this is amazing. Yeah. I was like, I reckon my first like week I got the paycheck, I was like going out and like buying my friends' areas and like guy like the room. So, she like, flashed. Oh, honestly, checks. like they have to work at Coles to get this much, and I get to play Neville. No offense to anyone that works at Coles, but I mean, like I was yeah, just getting so like I was like, this is the high life, like living still at home, and I think my first few years being able to just you know any money that you made kind of pocket essentially. Yeah. Like, this is a dream. Um, <laughs> Dead as well. She's 16. Know, she's sweet I like, 16. Oh free. my god, I was the coolest person ever. <laughs> Going back to that time, uh, do you remember your debut game? I actually do. It was so back when I first started out, it was still squads of 12, whereas at the moment we've gone to squads of 10. So it sort of meant that while you were in the team, there's only seven on the court, you, you had a high chance of not playing when you were a young player as well. And um, I actually sort of in a lucky way, the Thunderbirds didn't do that well in the first season. And I feel like when you're not doing well, yeah. there's a more, uh, you know, appetite to try new players yeah, out and yeah. give them a go. And I think it was a couple of rounds in and we were in um, Perth. So I made my debut over there, which I think in hindsight was probably the best thing because it means that, you know, you're not too nervous having your family in the yeah. crowd. And it's, you know, Perth feels like it's the other side of the world <laughs> yeah. at that time. So. I get jet lag when I go to Perth, eh? I, I honestly so don't. I don't know how they do it. Like I had to have this moment of the day of being like, God, I feel for the fever yeah. in our competition of the amount of travel they do. Do they usually, because like with cricket, when they play on the East Coast, they kind of stay over here for a little bit and then head back? Yeah, it sort of depends on like what their schedule is. And I actually was talking about this the other day. I think they're like, it's better in netball season because the time difference is only that two hours, whereas yeah, when you guys yeah, play yeah, in yeah, summer, true. it's three. Um, but you just, like if we go over there, we'd usually go like two days yeah, before, yeah, yeah, whereas yeah. if we were going to Melbourne, we'd just go the day before. Yeah. So I'm like, yeah, they spend – but there'll be times where like I think even the Lightning are over there at the moment and because they have to go to Adelaide afterwards, they're just staying there for mm. in-between games and stuff. So, um, yeah, it's a whole different world. But but, yeah, that debut game we lost, but I still remember it because I got to play in it. But, yeah, I just remember kind of, yeah, feeling so just grateful that you got that opportunity. And I think, yeah, then when I did come home and play my first game in Adelaide, it was, um, yeah, very surreal. You are, speaking of other side of the world, in Adelaide, uh, you then made the big move. <laughs> she saw the light. <laughs> <laughs> moved to the big smoke. Yeah, moved to, moved to Sydney in, what, 2017. And, and how did that come about? Was that your decision? Did you get seeked um, to come and play for the Swifts? And how did you go moving it? At what age would that be? Yeah, I think I was about 22, I remember. I think it was one of those things that, like, when I first got that opportunity in Adelaide, especially being so young, like, my plan was to stay in Adelaide forever and sort of play for the Thunderbirds forever. And I was sort of, yeah, so grateful that they'd given me the opportunity and, um, yeah, sort of took a chance on me and, um, yeah, that kind of, like, kick-started my career. And I spent about five years in Adelaide. And I feel like as a team we sort of – we did okay, but we never sort of reached our full potential. And then probably individually – I was sort of one of those players that had a lot of success early. Like I, like you said, I was the youngest player. I then went on to captain our Australian 21 and under team and um, sort of did all these kind of cool and amazing things. And then I sort of got to this point where I felt like I was just plateauing. And I think that a lot of other girls that I'd been in those under 21s team with or that had sort of started out at similar time were probably getting really consistent court time. Some were even kind of knocking on the door of the Aussie squad. And I just felt like, yeah, I wasn't kind of moving anywhere as probably fast as I thought I would have, but also maybe got a little bit too comfortable in Adelaide and it was off the back of that 2016 season um, when that was when the Super Netball was coming in so there were new teams being introduced there was going to be a lot of movement um, and I yeah sort of just 
felt like maybe to a degree it was a bit undervalued in Adelaide as well. They probably thought sometimes that if, you know, you're a young player that started out there that you're going to stay forever. And yeah, okay. I think there were a few of us that just kind of thought that if we were going to make a move, it was going to be in that kind of new season. And I was also someone that kind of always dreamt of living overseas or in living in the state. And I know Sydney for me was the closest thing to being overseas. Um, but I guess, you know, like Adelaide is a small place and you kind yeah. of, if you don't probably move at that age, you can get stuck probably living there forever. And, well, you know, I do love Adelaide and, you know, hopefully end up there one day. But I think that, yeah, for me, Sydney was just an exciting new opportunity and I kind of knew a few people um, that were at the Swifts and there was an assistant coach there that had been assistant coach in other teams and just kind of felt like, yeah, to take that next step, particularly in my netball career, I kind of needed to get outside of my comfort zone and, yeah, kind of haven't looked back. I think the plan originally was, oh, I'll come to Sydney for a few years and then, Kind of maybe go back to Sussed Adelaide. And now I think I've been here seven years and, yeah, no yeah. plans to, to head back anytime soon. Yeah, no wow. So you're appointed captain in 2019, so two seasons later. Uh, how do you describe yourself as a leader and was that a kind of a natural progression that came to you? You obviously mentioned that you captained that under-21s Aussie squad. Um, yeah, how, do you, how did you go about that? Yeah, it was definitely a shock. I think in my last few years at the Thunderbirds, I was in sort of their leadership group. We had a few of us, but never sort of a captain or vice captain or anything, but kind of was getting involved in a few more sort of leadership roles. Um, and then I think, yeah, that, that second year at the Swifts, I was sort of put into that leadership group. And again, I think it's something that, especially when you're in a new team, you never sort of imagine taking over that kind of role. And it was kind of off the back of our captain at the time um, retiring. And then it was sort of, yeah, this idea of who's going to lead next. And um, I remember when Bryony, um, sort of was making the decision she decided just to put it to the players and so it ended up just being a players vote really? which oh, yeah, that's really it, was, cool. it was it was it was that weird sort of feeling of being like well you know you're very excited because you're like well the players sort of want me to be here but then it was also like shit what do I do now and I remember getting the best advice of being like well you've been chosen captain for a reason and that's yeah. for how you are so you don't need to change who you are and I still think there's you know elements you have to grow and develop and um, you're always kind of trying to be a better leader but especially in that first year um, it was just you know be true to yourself and, and kind of stick to how you are because yeah they didn't vote for you because they want you to become all these things and while they obviously know there's areas to grow they don't want you to all of a sudden become a different person and I almost think as well the, the sort of silver lining which seems crazy now is that I ended up doing my ACL during that season sort of halfway through and I think I'd always probably thought of myself as a leader that really led by example on the court I think you talked about earlier you know throwing myself at every ball and kind of never never giving up and kind of having that sort of never say die attitude that that was sort of my way of feeling like I could lead and then when all of a sudden I couldn't lead on the court I kind of had to find new ways to be a leader um, from that off-court capacity and I think that yeah having that experience of, of being able to find a way to do that um, in that in that 2019 season has definitely you know set the the path for where I've been able to go from then on and yeah I'm still probably learning and, and growing and I've always sort of been that kind of people pleaser and a bit of a joker and wanted to be everyone's best friend and so it was sort of learning to be that person that also had to sort of make tough decisions and have those you know you call them in inverted commas tough conversations but you also kind of just call them genuine conversations mm. but um I think the more that I've been able to you know grow as a person it's helped me grow as a leader as well. On that ACL in that season, was that your only extended period of rehab and probably the season after that, how did you come back and, and get through that? Yeah, I think I'd been one of those people that like when I was younger, I probably had the like little niggly injuries, mm. like I'd done a meniscus and I'd sort of always been one of those people that had something little going yeah. on, but never, yeah, never anything to the extent of, of an ACL. And um, I sort of always talk about that year of being like, 
you know, I'd gone through all those years at the Thunderbirds. I'd then come to the Swifts with this whole new team and we'd kind of had this influx of new players and we'd taken that sort of 2017-2018 season to, to really build and we were kind of this young and exciting team and then in 2019 everything sort of clicked and for me individually I was really playing, you know, the best I'd played probably since I, I started and then as a team, as I said, everything was kind of gelling and I think by round seven we'd sort of like solidified a spot in the finals and even in all my years at the Thunderbirds I'd never actually played in a final even though it was sort of close to my eighth or something season at, at that level and, um, yeah, I remember when it happened you kind of, that's your first thought, you're like... The timing honestly, is never yeah, right. And it's like, it's like a movie, it's like, you know, in that game everything yeah. was like... You know, when you're in that state of flow and everything's going well and you're having one of those, like, you know, best games of your life and you feel like you're kind of untouchable. And um, I think that anyone's probably that's done a long-term injury, I feel like your first thought's kind of like, I've gone through all this preseason, I've gone through all of this. And, like, I knew straight away. Like, I'd never, well, yeah, yeah. everyone probably knows what it's like. And I think I'd never done an ACL, but I knew straight away. Like, I feel like yeah, you hear about what okay. it feels like and I just had no doubt in my mind. And so I think that, yeah, you probably grapple with that for the first few few minutes, but then... On the flip side, again, kind of going back to being captain, that was the saving grace as well because I was like, well, I've got no time to kind of dwell in my sort of self-pity because, you know, I'm here to lead this team and because we were having such a successful season, I was like, no, straight away I had a focus. And I think even doing it at that point of the season, it worked so well because I then, you know, once I'd had my surgery and kind of got through those first few weeks, we had a World Cup break as well. So I sort of did all that hard part while the team was on break. And then by the time we started playing again, I was able to travel to every game yeah. and sort of we're still on the bench with the team. And so kind of felt as involved, you know, even though I wasn't physically on the court, um, sort of still felt like I played a part. And that definitely sort of helped me in those initial months. And I feel like anyone that goes through long-term injuries knows that the, it's almost like months like six, seven, eight that become the hardest because it's like all so that. And, and it's so close. But then it's also like you've gone from making such progress early. Like you go from not being able to walk, yeah. to be able to walk, to be able to run, to be able to do all this. And then everyone else goes on holidays and goes yeah. off season. You're like, like oh, shit, I'm in the gym twice a week <laughs> and I'm up in the, you know, twice a day. So I'm going to do all this hard work. But um, I guess going to your next question about what kind of helped with that next season is I ended up having a bit of a hiccup. I tore my meniscus again because I did my meniscus and ACL and I re-tore it sort of in about January of that next year and that was probably even harder than when I did my ACL yeah. because you're like you've done all this rehab. You, you, I was back to sort of doing Were some stuff Were you coming back a little bit early? Like was it, it was, grey area? Yeah, it was one of those ones where like they – I thought like when you do an ACL, they always say like 12 months, yeah. but then you hear people that come back in that 9, 10. Yeah, yeah. They were always probably going to err on the side of caution. I sort of had the idea of being like maybe early to mid mm-hmm. the following season, which would have been 2020. And then when I did this, yeah, meniscus in January, it was like, well, it's probably looking more like mid to late. And I remember those first few weeks after my meniscus, I was just like, how am I ever going to kind of get back to this? And then – it sounds so horrible, but then the pandemic happened and oh. I remember sort of joking, oh, like, yeah, yeah. No, I know, <laughs> to a degree, I was like, this is where it gets, like, little silver linings and it was, I don't know if you guys remember, but I feel like when it was first this talk of COVID, it was like, it, was it sounded like, like a oh, myth. It's fine. And it was like a joke, it was like, oh, and like, I'm there kind of thing. You'd like, shut, turn the news off because like, I'm sick of this I shit. know, I still remember like Sam Wallace and our team sending us this video of like, and we're all just like, Sam, you're an idiot. Like, what are you talking about? Like, yeah. but the only thing that I kept joking about was being like, oh, awesome. Like, this might push our season back a few yeah. months and then it might mean that I, I get play. to play the first so I'm so selfish like one eye <laughs> in that moment but 
Yeah, you're always searching. When you're in a position like that and you just want to get back on the court, you're like, I'll take anything. So lo and behold, it happened. So I'm sorry, I'm I'm single. I'm I'm to blame for this pandemic because I made it happen. But we sort of, yeah, got that break, had to go home. Everyone sort of didn't know what was happening. And then the season got pushed back to sort of starting, I think it was June or something like that, which was pretty much bang on 12 months, which even with my meniscus sort of was where I was probably looking to come back. So, yeah, ended up playing round one, um, (laughs) which was in a hub, and it was honestly the worst game of my life. Like, you know one of those games where you just like – Everything that can go wrong goes wrong. Like I remember the first ball, like nearly like tripping over my own feet, and because I hadn't had like the natural build up in terms of usually when you're coming back from injury like that, you'll play practice matches and you'll do all those things. But because of COVID, we yeah. hadn't had the chance, and it was really funny as well. Like when they talk about the mental side of injuries, like I had no fear about like redoing my ACL. Like it was never like wow. I had so much faith in like my rehab yeah. and like my physios and everything like that that my only fear was that I all of a sudden was like oh, my God, I'm not going to be able to play handball again. And it was like it became this, like, massive thing of being like, I don't even know, like, if I'm going to be able to, like, catch a ball or do this. And then the night before our first game we were in this hub and the hub ended up being in Queensland and I'd done my ACL in Brisbane. And I remember, like, the stadium was called a certain stadium when I did my knee and then we're watching the games the day before because we must have played on the Sunday. And I'm looking at the stadium and I'm like, this one looks so similar to whatever it was called, (laughs) but it was called Nissan Arena by then. And then the girl's like, yeah, it's like the same. They've just renamed it. And I've like turned like gray being like, no, I'm going back to like the same. And, you know, you, you go through all those kind of stories that you tell yourself. And I sort of have this like hour of having like an absolute meltdown of like, I can't yeah. go back. But got through that first game. Second game was a little bit better. Third game was a little bit better. Found and the then groove. ended up finding a groove. And then ended up actually at the end of that 2020 season got picked up for the first time in the Aussie squad. So it was sort of like, yeah, one of those things where everything kind of happens for a reason and, and managed to kind of find my way back. You know, obviously as a leader, being off the field, um, in and amongst the squad, obviously trying to lead, what were some things that you learned, um, you know, taking a step back from being that player on the court leading a team? Yeah, I think a lot of being a leader is just about like building genuine connections. And I think that that was one of our, and still is one of the best things about our team. And I think people always look at the Swifts and go like, they're so close, like it must be fake. And even to the point where like we had Ramel Dake and George come in this year who's played at the Firebirds so sort of whole career. And so, yeah, from the outside, you always look at the Swifts and just think they can't actually be as close as, you know, they make it out yeah. to be sort of thing. And so, like, until I got here and I realised it was true. And I think that, yeah. It's again, so nice when people on the outside notice that. Honestly, well. I know. Cool. And then they come in and realise that it's, yeah, not all, not all for show. But <laughs> so many of us came from like, we've got so many of us that are from interstate, a lot of us that are from in, like um, overseas and we sort of built this family. Yeah. I think that, um, yeah, as a leader, it's like the closer you can get. And for me, it was like being kind of vulnerable in a way of being like, I don't like having tough conversations. I don't like people not liking me. I don't like, you know, I want to be everyone's best friend. And as soon as I sort of said that to the group and said like something that I really struggle with is being able to do X, Y, and Z, I almost like opened that door to then be able to do it. And it was like I could have those tough conversations with people because they knew that it was yeah. coming from such a, a good place. And, you know, you always talk about the fact that when you have those hard conversations, it's often harder for the person saying it than this person sort of receiving it. And so I think just, yeah, being able to have that sort of trust in the relationships that I'd built that by me, yeah, yelling at someone at training or telling someone someone wasn't good enough, it's not going to all of a sudden mean that they hate me yeah. and they're not going to talk to me anymore. Yeah. <laughs> um, they're actually going to, you know, respect me more for it and actually end up being a respect thing. And I think probably early on I had kind of got that title of being the joker and being someone that was just a lot of fun and then the more that I kind of grew as a leader, the more I realised that, yeah, people respected me more when I could kind of step away from that as well and sort of was able to then find the balance of still being, you know, authentic and genuine in who I am, which is someone that, like, to have a laugh and have a joke but then 
also when it matters, be that person that's a bit more serious and can have, um, yeah, just, just be the person that steps up in, in those other areas and not just have to be the one that, you know, lightens the mood. So a lot of those little things and they still took time and I'm probably still growing in a lot of areas. We joke about now that as I get older, it's like every year, it's like, oh, 28 year old Maddie's a bit meaner. Oh, 29 year old Maddie's really mean. Like what's going to happen by the time Maddie's 30? It's like, but again, because I've kind of built those relationships, people know that it's all coming from a good place. So um, yeah, still a way to go, but we're getting there. You spoke about uh, the netball situation in the hub. We also experienced the hub just across the road in the Sydney Olympic Park, <laughs> yeah. your home. It's coming um, from where you got me. <laughs> yeah, it was, uh, it was really weird because I felt like I could see home from the back. It yeah, was just not strange. a fun situation. But with netball, you said it was on Queen in Queensland. Uh, was it on the Sunshine Coast a little bit? Yeah, well, so everyone – it was sort of based in Queensland and we yeah. played uh, like um, around sort of – Brisbane, I think we might have even had a couple in the Gold Coast, but it was mainly between Brisbane and the Sunny Coast. And so most teams either set themselves up in Brisbane or went to the Sunny Coast. And I think we, we chose we chose the beach. And we actually so we look back on that first year of the first hub because we then sort of went to a hub in 2021 as well. Like the first kind of team that kind of yeah, I'm to do it. It's one of those the things. The first sport, But I I'm like, say. those couple of years are like a blur to me. Like I can't even like remember how it all happened. Did like, I? Honestly, <laughs> I thought they all merged into one. And I'm like, how did we like do that? And how like, and I mean that, that 2020 season we came I think we lost the first final so we came fourth or something like that after winning in 2019 and so it wasn't probably the season that we wanted and I think we kind of look back on that and because when you're in Queensland as well they were so free there mm. like we were almost on this holiday like we yeah. kind of joked about it in the next year being like did we really focus on netball during that time or were we maybe just happy that we were on the beach, beach yeah. and getting acai bowls and laying out in the sun and I think though you know throughout that time it was so nice to have that sort of you know shining light and I think we probably you know, finding that distinction between like being at netball and being at home was probably tough because it was all kind of merging into one. So I think that that's where we grew in 2021 is that by the time we went into those, you know, we had a million different hubs in 2021, the season sort of started normal and then went into a hub um, and moved kind of around a bit. But we actually kind of learnt, no, we need to be able to focus on netball when you're in netball and then when you need to go into a, you know, hub environment or whatever, you, you need to have the differentiation between the two. But, yeah, we felt so grateful, especially in both those years. Like, at the end of the day, we escaped Sydney lockdowns. Yeah. We were sort of chasing the freedom in a way. And so, you know, I look back on those couple of years of, of being in a hub and I'm like, we still had a great time. We were so lucky to be able to keep doing what we're doing when, you know, everyone else was stuck at home and going through really tough times. And especially to win a premiership in 2021 um, throughout all of that was just, yeah, a pretty cool experience. The Swifts obviously won the title in 2019 and have sort of been a dominant force in the in the SSN. Uh, you've had key international shooters, like you said, Sam Wallace now, about her Aiken um fortunately Sam Wallace did her ACL as well how is that coming along yeah she Sam's injury was like one of the most horrific I'd ever seen like it was in round one of last season and it was like just yeah she absolutely did everything she could in that knee and I think the way that she moves the shooter as well you can imagine like she's kind of coming down on that split and it just was horrible like I think to this day is one of the worst injuries I've ever seen and yeah she unfortunately just had the toughest time coming back and I think she already sort of suffered from not great knees as it was and then her rehab's been yeah a lot slower I mean obviously the plan originally would have been to come back for this season but unfortunately she's been ruled out for this year as well so it's one of those ones where you kind of can't put a time on and it's just to kind of see how she goes every every week and um you know she put up some stuff the other day and she's doing heaps more movement on court and so really hoping for her that she comes back next year um but yeah it was just a really really horrible one it must be nice 
having you in the squad, you know, being able to kind of help her through, share that kind of journey, like what you went through. So Yeah, well, that was, it was even like that when I did mine and that like our coach had done two ACLs, yeah. Paige, my co-captain had done hers as well. And unfortunately, netball, it's almost one of those things of the, it's an elite group, but they're becoming a lot bigger. Like I think mm-hmm. netball is one of those ones where it's so hard and unique um, angles and knees that sometimes it's almost inevitable. So that is one of the comforting things is that you're never alone. And even yet yeah, the first time Sam did hers, um, you know, I spent a lot of time with her in those, in those early days and Sam and I are really close as it is so I think it's just nice to be able to it's 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 a weird one as well because you never want to compare and obviously with Sam's as well it was so different to mine and that that was almost like my advice just kept being like to her like you can't compare your sort of journey or your rehab to anybody else's but all you can kind of do is know that you know people are there for you and um yeah she's been so strong and especially on the other side of the world to her family um and like for me at least you know if I wanted to go home to Adelaide it was only a quick flight or I could you know go here and there but for Sam it's like she's had to kind of stay here for a lot of it so um, yeah, definitely been feeling for her, but yeah, that she's got a lot of support around her as well. Yeah, obviously, uh, people may have seen the highlight reels that we spoke about a little bit earlier. Uh, twelve minutes. Is long. it actually twelve minutes? <laughs> no, okay. no. Just kidding, no. <laughs> it's, What's going on? See, it's one of these ones where it's like I've gone through like a roller coaster with these, like to the point where I used to think they were funny at the start. Then I went through a year of being like. I hate that everyone just thinks I fall over. Like, there were ones where it was like... Do you have small feet? Like, is there not, just no well, base? I know, and that was the problem. When I first watched Shark in the first, like, compilation they put together, I was like, okay, I'm literally tripping over my own feet. So it's actually something that, like, I've worked on. Like, it sounds ridiculous. <laughs> but, like, honestly, like, being like, all right, how do I get stronger in the gym? How do I... And because... It sounds like petty, but it almost became this bit of like a perception as well where it was like, well, man, and then not that you ever want to consider things, but I'm like, I wanted to try and make Aussie squads and I wanted to be able to make, you know, different teams and I didn't want people to think that I was just this kind of like joke of a player that just fell over all the time. Exactly. Although I did, ironically, my book's called Grace on the Court. That's probably what I want to be. Um, But I think, yeah, it it kind of for a few years almost became this thing where it was like, you know, maybe I need to try and, you know, change this narrative. And I was like, I'm more than happy for there to be videos of me, you know, diving on the ball or falling over in a contest because I've gone hard for it. But I was like, okay, I really want to change this narrative around me tripping over. I think this like troll on social media started calling me banana shoes. And it's like stuck with me forever. And I'm like, no. okay, the day that I can stop getting this troll to call me banana shoes is like the day that I've succeeded. Um, but yeah, I think I always say that I think it stemmed from like playing backyard marks up with my brothers in that like your only way of being able to get the ball was if you literally like threw yourself on the yeah, ball and it was yeah. like throw yourself on the remote and it was like um yeah and then that, I think as well we actually when I lived at AAS we had this like course one time where it was almost like you know like try skills where they come in and they teach you how to like land on the ground and so it was like almost I don't know if you guys would do it, really good at it. Where, like, wait what do you mean try skills sorry it was like it was kind of like an injury prevention thing oh, it was okay, like okay. teaching you how to like fall oh. without like hurting yourself yeah, like yeah. do you guys get taught I mean, how to like dive on the yeah. ball yeah. Yeah. yeah so it was like it was sort of like meant to be this fun thing, but I think maybe subconsciously I've taken it too like realistically <laughs> to the point where sometimes when I go to fall, it's almost like your natural progression is to like kind of protect yourself so you kind of always do like a roll. Yeah, yeah. And I'm like now the more that I'm like analysing, I'm like maybe it stems from that time. <laughs> yes, but yeah, let's just say I'm not the most coordinated. I'm, I'm that person. I think I said the other day, I was like, I think the word I say the most regularly is like, ow. Like I'm always like knocking my elbow on things. I'm like tripping over things. I like drop things all the time. Like I am the biggest klutz in the world. Do um, they ever have um, marks on you guys when you're playing? 
Like oh, the, you know how like they've been doing in the footy they recently? Did it, well, they did it a few years ago um, and I got marked up for a game and I think ironically <laughs> it was out, one that out, I didn't out, fall out. over in. Okay. Um, but no, they definitely should because it happens a lot. <laughs> oh, um, so you played for the Diamonds on a few occasions. Big dog. Welcome <laughs> to the show. <laughs> um, and you become a regular squad member. Can you talk us through the moment you found out and, um, yeah, the emotions that sort of came with it? Yeah, I actually, I still remember it was in because it was during that 2020 year and we were in the hub and you sort of usually find out around like mid to late end of the season and again, never having been there before. So it's, I don't know how you guys find out about squads, but it's like the way that you usually find out is if you've been in the squad before, you get allocated like a time that you'll receive a call oh, and it's okay. like a five minute block or whatever. And so it's like you either get told you're in or you get told, sorry, you're not in. Whereas, damn. But if you've never been <laughs> the in the anxiety squad before, leading know, up to that. I know. Whereas <laughs> if you've never been in the squad before though, you've got no idea. And the only reason that I knew these calls were happening was because there was girls in our team that had been right. in squads before and we were at training or something and then I remember coming out of a physio session or something and seeing that I had a missed call from this unknown number and you know you start to kind of get this Scammer. like oh is it happening <laughs> is it not and I think for me like it probably happened a bit later getting in the squad than I would have hoped or that it happened for a lot of other people and I almost feel like you start to convince yourself like oh maybe I don't care that much or maybe you know that's fine like I'm happy just playing for the Swifts or whatever literally but then I think the not even kidding but it's like a thing and you kind of go like oh you know what I'm satisfied with what I'm doing and it's been a dream but it doesn't have to happen and like you you start to tell yourself stories and you go next yeah exactly I cried and I never thought I would have cried because I was like, again, I was like, no, I don't care yeah. that much. Um, and then when I called my mum and she, and it was like, I think in that moment was when I realised, you know, how how much it meant. But the thing with our squads, and I don't know if you guys are the same, is that you can be in the squad but you can just not play. So I got selected in the squad and then didn't end up making the touring teams and then same thing happened in 2021. I actually didn't get in the initial squad. They ruled me out and then I got added about a week or two before the World Cup team got announced, sorry, the Commonwealth Games team got announced. And, again, all those stories start floating around of like oh they wouldn't have added you late if you weren't going but then didn't get into that team and then it wasn't until um, I was actually in Europe last year we all went to Europe for a couple of months I think the whole of Netball Australia was over <laughs> yeah. in Europe Hot girl summer over there. it was like yes. the people the comp games were in England so people were coming from there and the other people were meeting each other over and we were in pretty sure we like Paros on the Greek islands oh, and this yes. time because they knew everyone was away instead of getting a phone call you were getting an email and I remember waking up and because of the time difference and I saw that I'd been picked for these two other tours but again, in the tours, they take fourteen. So I hadn't been, I hadn't made the, I'd made the eighteen, then I hadn't made the fourteen. Now I'd made the fourteen, and then so got in those tours, and then the first game didn't get picked in the twelve, but then got picked in the t- in the twelve in the in the second tour, but then got put on like midway through a random quarter. So it wasn't even like at a quarter break or yeah, anything like that. Yeah. It was like. Maddie, get up, Bam, like you're coming in. on, and I was like, I still remember that first game. Just it was in New Zealand, and I was just like, I think I was in shock for the yeah. whole sort of like quarter and a half that I was on. That it was like. I almost kind of couldn't even remember it. And, you know, I did okay, but I wasn't great. I sort of made a few errors and it, it was, yeah, like an, an okay game, but it was like probably not the, the debut that you dream of. Um, and then I didn't make, didn't get put in the 12 for the next game, but then the England series started straight after and I got put in the 12 for that first game and then also started. So I'd sort of gone from not even being in the 12 to coming on randomly to then being like, all right, you're starting in, I think it was in centre. Um, and that was the game. I don't know if you guys saw it, but it was the first game in um, Newcastle 
and we were playing England and the game went down to like the final second and Danelle Wallum did a layup on the buzzer oh, yeah. to win the game and um, Danelle Wallum's our, our Indigenous player and there have been all this stuff going on with all the Hancock. Um, like it was just one of like the most chaotic kind yeah. of week and I ended up playing that full game and ended up getting sort of player of the match at the Sick. end. And so it was sort of like, again, showing That's that you can go from a couple of weeks earlier playing in sort of this nightmare of a debut to then getting to sort of start in your first game playing like, to me, a, a historic game where, um, you know, the, the stuff that Danelle did was just incredible and then to, yeah, play in Australia and have so many sort of Sydney fans there as well, um, that was sort of like, I, I use that one as like the dream that's game. That's the debut. Yeah, yeah that's, that, that, that's the debut I'll claim. <laughs> How do you manage the kind of roller coaster of emotion that is like, you know, being in the touring squad, not knowing if you're going to play, all of a sudden you're pulled yeah. on the court then you're not playing and then you're starting like how do you regulate that because it must be pretty hard to kind of you know you want to be in a consistent headspace yeah. so you can get the best out of your game like it is really tough you to be honest like someone that I don't even know like I think yeah. I think for me it was probably just like managing your expectations and I think I was pretty realistic in knowing you know where I stood probably early on in particular and you know while you obviously want to like strive for the best and you never want to sort of think you know oh no I'm only player 13 14 for me that was sort of a good coping mechanism and I don't know if that's healthy so or not. everything else is like oh, yeah exactly it's like a Phil Dunphy quote it's like you know a good birthday low expectations and it's like if you sort of don't expect it's gonna happen when it does it's like a bonus but I think it's saying like you always still prepare as if you're yeah. gonna be there and like we often wouldn't find out till the night before the game whether you were in or not so it's like yeah you actually had to prepare as if you were going to because yeah. you sort of couldn't afford not to but yeah, there were times where it was tougher than others and especially when you're on a tour and it's like you're away for sort of a couple of months and you're away from friends and family and that. Um, but the good thing as well is that there's always something to share it with because they took 14. There was often yeah. somebody else that missed out at the same time and I was sort of so fortunate that I had a lot of good friends in that squad as well that were always kind of checking in on you. But it's also about perspective. It's like, okay, well, I'm not in the 12. I'm still only one of 14 players yeah. in the whole country to be yeah. in this, in this um, sort of situation. There were people that missed out on even being in the squad and, you know, you go back to thinking, oh, well, you know, there was a time where I was, did my ACL and all I could think about was just wanting to be able to play or be, you know, a, and you still get to go to the game. You still get to be a part of it. So it's sort of all that kind of combination of, of perspective and, and managing expectations and then when you do get your opportunities, making sure you grow it with both hands. Yeah. That's crazy how the squad stuff works. I reckon I'd prefer yeah. a time slot because the amount of stress we have of like, you might find out this week. Yeah, oh, they give you I a week. Not, and you I just see not. the nah. head selector's name pop up on your phone and then you're like, well, this is the time I have oh, to take this. Yeah, that makes me feel sick. No, I love that we get a time slot. <laughs> we used to do it. When I, when I found out about the Aussie 21s, it was that you all were in a room because you were at like a camp or something oh, and no. they read it out oh, alphabetical order and so like you were waiting for your letter that's, to come up. That's worse. Oh, yeah. But then I found out from Helen Housing the other day that the English team used to do it that they all were at the camp and they got given a letter oh, and then you'd go and open oh, your letter no. and she said that she went and opened hers and like that's kind of a bit quality. I don't know. Like, <laughs> actually, she could hear the girl with the next cubicle bawling her eyes out and then she's excited because she got it. I'm like, oh, there's two Emotions. Like, there's no right or wrong way to do it, but I do think that the phone yeah, is close to is, the most is very close to being most correct. Oh. Yeah, uh, take notes, cricket. Australia. <laughs> uh, well, in cricket, we experience something called the Sydney Smash, so it's when we play each other actually. Yes. Yeah, uh, Sixes v Thunder, and we get a little bit more hyped for yeah. it. Uh, you play the Giants on the weekend, congrats on the win. Thank you. Do you, does your team get a little bit more up and about? And like you mentioned before. You like your change rooms are yeah. across from each other? It's bizarre. Like I was trying to, I was talking, I don't know, I was like, is there any situations where like you guys in the sixes are like in the same rooms at the same time? Because like to the point where our change rooms face each other, like we'll often train on similar days because you're playing on the same day. So your schedule is quite similar. They've had to like install curtains at Netball Central so that like if one team's training on one court and the other's up on the other court, like you're not 
like looking at each other's training. I'm like, I was trying to think about another professional sport where that would happen and it's just madness. But I think that that's what fuels the fire so much, like to the point where we think of a derby or derby or whatever you yeah. want to call it as like the hey, pinnacle. I get mixed with that word too. See, in Adelaide, <laughs> we call it a showdown. So I'm like, I'm completely out of That's very Adelaide. It's not a showdown. So I say derby, but even though it's spelt like derby, yeah. I think. So who knows? But no, it's, it's honestly the best game of the year. And I think that, you know, in New South Wales, in particular like we're so lucky to have the amount of fans that we have we had a sold out crowd on the weekend so cool. but it's so no matter who's playing and like and even this year for example like the Giants can't make finals we're sort of now sitting top but the game still went down to the wire and like that's what happens every single year it's like no matter where either team's positioned there, it, there just seems to be this extra bit of emotion it's like there's so many sort of like parts to it as well that like Bryony our coach used to play under Julie Fitzgerald who's their coach like there's so many rivalries or like players that used to play for the Swiss that play for the Giants like players that were involved in the Giants yeah. and now the Swifts like there's just so much to it and even our office upstairs is like a mix of, <laughs> of staff and it's like just the whole week leading into it you can just yeah. tell that there's this extra like bit of electricity in the year and in the air sorry and like for us, like that's what you want sport to be, and I think the more that we can create this kind of hype around a derby, it's going to be so good for the sport. And like, especially in line with a lot of things that's been going on in netball lately, with Collingwood not having a license anymore, and people sort of wondering what the fate of netball is. I'm like, to have a sold out cr- uh, crowd, to have a game like that, kind of just shows that there still is, you know, so much excitement around the sport, and that it is sort of heading in the right direction. We'll sort of touch on the the Collingwood, like you brought up a, a little bit later, and the current season is is happening at the moment like you said is it top of the ladder we are currently top big dogs <laughs> how many games before finals and how are we shaping up as yeah teams? so two to go so two more before finals so i think I, i'm i'm so bad at like ladders and maths and working it all out i'm just like let's just keep winning and we can focus on the rest later but apparently i've been told that if we win one of our next two games we guarantee top two okay. um but the way that so finals is structured in that like it's top four so one plays two in the major semi-final. Whoever wins goes straight through the grand final. Loser plays winner of two versus – sorry, three versus four. But usually then if you win that first grand, a major final, you get a home grand final. But now the rights to the grand final have been sold yeah. to Melbourne. Oh, so, okay. yeah, it means that winning – like being minor premiers has even more weight now because you want to get a home final. Yeah. So obviously if you finish second, you get the double chance, but you'll play – in the tops home ground um so for us it's like you know that's that's the focus now is to a secure a top two spot so that you can get a double chance but then you really want to be able to play a game and especially for us the last two grand finals we've won have both not been at home and that was really the disappointing thing about 2021 is that we did kind of win the right to have a home grand final but we were at a hub so we mm. had to play in queensland so it's like you sort of want to give back to the fans that have sort of been through so much that you want to be able to give them a, a home final but yeah we're playing queensland this weekend against the firebirds who actually just beat the Vicks so it's it's the classic like last week was this massive yeah. upset with all the bottom four teams trying to just shake up the top four so we play them which is gonna be a tough one and then we actually play the thunderbirds who are sitting second at the moment um in round 14 so there's kind of gonna be a lot happening in the next few weeks yeah wow that's exciting uh on to the the netball australia <laughs> topic and it's obviously been in the public eye different situations whether it's sponsorships or you know significant team movement or mm. removal whatever you you call it it's um <laughs> drama drama that's that's good yeah that's do you reckon good. it's affected the competition at all i mean it's obviously affected collingwood and i do i feel so much for those players in that it's like i can't even try and picture what it would feel like getting told sort of part way through a season that 
you know, your club doesn't want you anymore, essentially. And that's kind of the way that you would feel in that, like, you know, you don't, you're not valued enough that they want to keep you around. And I think that, um, yeah, it's heartbreaking. It's devastating for them. It's devastating for the sport as well that sort of, you know, a powerhouse like Collingwood didn't feel like they could keep a netball team. And I think you can look at it in many ways, whether it's, you know, the onus is on the football club, whether it's on Netball Australia or whether, you know, you, you can point the blame a million different ways. But I guess it's just, yeah, disappointing is the only word you can come to where a, a team like that feels like they don't want to kind of keep Netball around. But I've sort of said that I feel like there could be a real positive spin to it in that, you know, I, I've always been a big believer in the fact that we need more teams in the competition. I think for our season to only go for 14 rounds yeah. um, and you our pre-seasons are about eight months long. Yeah. Um, honestly, yeah, you guys more we than used to play only six games. See, I can't even like imagine that. Like, I just feel like the seasons just go in the blink yeah. of an eye, and I'm like, even when we used to play against New Zealand, it was at least you know eighteen yeah. rounds. Oh, sorry, yeah, eighteen rounds, and it went for longer. And it's like for the sport to be able to grow, you need to be on screen, you know, on TV for a lot longer. And so I've always thought you need at least ten teams. And so now, obviously, with Collingwood leaving, they the rule is though well, the rule the kind of agreement that they have is that the there needs broadcast. to be an eight. Yeah, broadcast yep. was there needs to be an eight team competition. So they've now put sort of the tender out to anyone essentially that wants to have a team and. I have very rose-coloured glasses in thinking that Netball Australia are going to get inundated with these, you know, requests to have a licence and that, you know, it's going to be a way for Netball to realise that there is really an appetite for more teams out there. And, you know, now they're going to be putting a structure in place. There's going to be sort of like a framework for how you bring in a new team and the turnaround's going to have to be really quick because it has to be in time for next season. So I guess, yeah, while trying to stay positive about it, I'm like, well, hopefully this means that, you know, we add this eighth team next year, but then in, you know, the year after maybe there can be more teams that come in because we know that there's, you know, people or organisations that want to be involved. So it's also the saying of any publicity is good publicity. Yeah. I think it's the first time that I've ever... Yeah, been a lot. I got so excited. You know how you get, like, the news alerts, like, on your yeah. watch? I was at training and we're warming up and I had my watch on and I saw it pop up being, like, Collingwood, like... And I'm like, guys, Nepples are, like, my like my watch. Like, we've made it. Like, it's a headline. So I was like, that's a positive in that we're sort of making the news a bit more. Yeah. So I'm like, let's just keep it in people's faces and then, you know, we can build the interest in Nepple and hopefully it turns out to be in a positive way. Yeah. Any favourites where you think the, the next club going to come from well apparently again the deal says that there needs to be two teams in victoria so i think that like ideally the best way to do it is sort of spread the teams out so like a geelong has been thrown around a lot and yeah. i think the reason like the sunshine coast lightning for example have been yep. so successful is that they're not competing for the firebirds fans yep. in brisbane and i think you know Swiss and giants kind of works because you're still both under that umbrella of netball new south wales and some fans are across both teams and you've probably got enough population but i think the issue with collingwood was that they didn't have any fans because they had no association to netball victorious so they couldn't get access to any of their grassroots a lot of the collingwood football fans the games were often at the same time so they're going whereas yeah. you go somewhere like geelong and there's yep all of the grassroots netballers that play for Geelong or in that, you know, region are going to want to come to games. So I sort of think that would be a, a good starting point. I've always thought Tassie is a great option. I think that, you know, we've, and the fact that now the AFL team's going there yep. and I thought that, you know, the introduction of things was the Jack Jumpers and the NBL, they had sold yeah, out crowds. Yeah. Like yeah. I just think they've got such like an appetite for sport and even like I can very... little isolated down there. Like, it's like Adelaide. Like, you saw when Adelaide had like the Live Golf and the, oh, what else did they have? Oh, they had the Gather Round and then they had Origin. Yeah. Like, and the cycling. And yeah, that's so, so places, <laughs> places that don't, you know, have as much to do, they love going to sport. So I'm like, you need to go somewhere where you know you're going to get people to games and you're going to get people watching and I think that yeah the only way to do that is to kind of separate it I think unless it can only be in Melbourne I think if Netball Victoria become a part of the as well and they give this new team access to their um yeah grassroots networks but yeah go anywhere 
Really, yeah. <laughs> Another team in Adelaide? Yeah, perfect. <laughs> um, so netball's in a pretty unique position of um, of being a female-dominated sport with huge amounts of grassroots numbers and, and programs. What do you think is next uh, for the development of the sport to ensure that the Diamonds continue their um, dominance around the world? That's a great call. I think that, like, like, there's often been speculation around like whether we should have the cap on international players and everything like that. And I think no. Like I think the best thing about Suncorp Super Netball, especially at the moment, is that like it's the premier netball league in the world. Like yeah. it's pretty unique that you've got you know people coming from all over the world to play in a competition competition in Australia. It's like you know on a smaller scale, the equivalent of the NBA or the EPL, and it's like you know people are coming here to play in the best competition in the world. So I think we need to keep that um, you know invitation to anybody from the world to come and play here. So I think at the top level, um, you know, introduction of new teams, because at the moment only 80 players in the whole yep. world have the opportunity to play in this competition. So you open that up to, to more teams, to more games. I think that's just going to grow. And I think, like you said, there's such a big number. I think it's the highest participation sport in, in the country and there's probably not as much translation between grassroots to becoming supporters of the top level. And I think that netball needs to do a better job of, you know, making the players sort of icons that people want to, you know, grow up to be. And it's like you can go out to a netball association on a weekend and there's probably only a handful that know many players' names. And I think that that's, you know, something where other sports like cricket and like the football codes have done so well in in kind of promoting the sport in a way that there's such a high turnover of you know, people that play the sport wanting to watch it. And I think the netball still has a long way to go in that area. Um, I think that there's been a lot of talk around, you know, opening the sport up to boys as well. And I do think that, you know, while we have this unique position of being, you know, a female-dominated sport, which I think is the best thing about netball as well, is that we're, we've come from a place where we haven't had to kind of ride on the coattails of men and we've been able to kind of pave the way. But I think there probably still is we're essentially eliminating ourselves to 55% of the population yeah, yeah. by not having, you know, an appetite for, for – keep saying appetite, maybe I'm hungry. Um, <laughs> it's yeah, almost lunch. Yeah, so. yeah, exactly. But I think that – it would kind of be cool, though, for the men to ride the yeah, coattails of, cool. of the women. And I think that there's a lot of people that are against this because they're like, well, Nepal's worked so hard for women to be this, you know, female sport that I'm like, well, yeah, we're not all of a sudden disregarding that. We are just creating an opportunity to have more people want to come to games, have more people wanting to support us. And I still think that the, the men's game has to grow, you know, through the grassroots, but it's like, you know, no longer does, a, you know, when I was younger and wanted to play AFL, I used to have to spot, stop by the time you were 12 or something. And boys have to do the same with netball at the moment. So it's like creating competitions where they can keep playing, which then opens it up to a lot more people. I think that that's also another step we need to make. I had no idea boys had to stop at 12. Yeah, I think unless there's... Unless there's like mixed netball. Yeah, unless you're playing like mixed, <laughs> mixed social netball. Yeah, I love that. Love I used it. to play it's when so, I was... So aggressive. Around. So aggressive. Yeah. All about yeah. it. All about That's it. so good. Now, how does Maddie Proud spend her time off the field? <laughs> spoken heaps about netball. That's true. She doesn't do much. She, <laughs> she loves watching TV. She loves playing on the couch. Um, I do... I, I love doing all the classic, like going out for brunch, going yeah. for walks, yeah. doing all the kind Sydney of... Sydney lifestyle. Sydney lifestyle things. Um, but then I... <laughs> also have written yeah two children's books so I did go back and did a master's of creative writing so I've got an undergrad in marketing and then um went a few years ago and did a master's in creative writing I'd written the first Grace on the Court sort of with no kind of training and I think that's why the uh, that's exact, but that's probably why the uh, editing process took so long because there was a lot of work that needed to be done so I kind of thought when I was writing the second I might as well actually learn a bit more about the art of writing um so did my master's and that kind of helped me write the second one and so um yeah I spent a 
lot of time. I have my own website where I sell the books, um, sort of go out to, to netball clubs or do a bit of coaching and things like that and try and sell them and do a lot of shameless we'll plugs along the way. put that in the podcast description link. So <laughs> Thank you, guys. Thank you. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm always known. It's like how long into like a discussion is Maddie going to bring up the fact that she's written a book? <laughs> no, so, no. Hey, it's taken nearly an hour for the, you uh, The next question is on the book, so just well, keep going. Well, I was thinking I would, yeah, but yeah. I'm crossing all bases. Um, <laughs> book number three, though, is in the works but has been very, very slow, so that's why it's like almost a touchy subject at the moment. It's yeah. like, what have you been doing lately? It's like, well, I should have been writing, but I haven't been. Um, <laughs> but if you wanted to, I, you could. Yes, that's that's I what you'd be doing. Exactly, exactly. I mean, I'm not even a writer's block. I'm like, the first two books I was so clear in like kind of what I wanted to do. Like I'm not a big planner, but I had like an idea of like this is where I want them to go. Um, whereas the third one I've kind of got like three possible like okay. avenues that it could go down and I'm so indecisive that like I just need to choose one. I pretty much do. Yeah, I pretty much do. Because then um, four or five. Well, that's the thing as well. If yeah. I just go one way, then the other. So you're right. I just, just, writing I just need to stick with my... Yeah, thank I you. I literally struggle with English. <laughs> <laughs> it's not my first language. <laughs> well, maybe I'll send it to you for some proofreading. Okay, yeah. that, that works. I also, yeah, like you said, do some podcasting. And as we've discussed earlier, podcasting takes a lot <laughs> yeah. of time. Oh, I think we spent yeah. half our week planning when we're going to meet and what time we're going to yeah. meet, what we're going to talk about, <laughs> and then you're actually going to get into the studio and do it. And I'm like, it's a big commitment. So, yeah, yeah a little bit of everything. But, yeah, being outside, I love being watching some TV shows. I do a bit of reading, but, again, not as much as I'd like to do. Yeah. Watching a lot more cricket these days than I ever have before. So <laughs> I've, I've been watching you girls. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> we'll have to get you in the nets. I don't know. Well, I, I was hoping maybe maybe you know, we get you on the bowling machine. Please. 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 The kids are in there. <laughs> yeah. If you so we've just jumped into an elevator and you've got to give your elevator pitch for both the book and the podcast. Oh yeah. Go. Okay, well this elevator's gonna have to have a hundred floors. <laughs> but okay, Grace in the Core is about it follows a young girl starting going the transition from primary school to high school. I always sort of say that I think that's like a pretty pivotal part in a young person's life. I think that you know you go through so many changes in those sort of early teen years and for me sort of sport was something that kind of got me through all of those years and sort of formed me into the person that I am. So follows Grace trying out for her high school netball team and her first sort of introduction to school bullies to finding boys and kind of that all the, all those sort of formative things have that happen when you start high school um and then grace back on court sort of picks up where the last one left off and kind of follows more into her um yeah netball progression i guess but yeah i always sort of say that there's two goals that i get out of the books it's one either girls that don't like reading but love sport it gives them something to read and kind of i think that again reading is such a big part Not of that i don't like reading i just really well, no, exactly. I think about what I'm doing and then I go, oh, no. No, I'm exactly. And you need to be about something you enjoy. So I'm like, whereas if sporty girls want to read, you know, a book about sport, then that gives them something. And, again, reading and writing, Hannah, is such a big part of everyday life. Um, but then on the flip side of that, girls that love reading but don't necessarily like sport. Like I love getting messages from mums like on Instagram saying, you know, my mum, my daughter, sorry, you know, has never played sport before but she read your book and now she wants to play netball. Or, you know, my daughter loves netball but she's never finished a book before and yours is the first one she finished. Draw so. on that to write I know, I'm like, actually, I had a girl come up to me after the game on the weekend that was like, when's Grace Street coming? I was like, that's the motivation I need. I'll get onto it. Yeah. Um, Mad Chatter podcast is literally just a lot of chit-chat. It's, about, it's kind of one of those ones where it's like, we try not to be too much about netball. It's just an everyday catch-up. So it's with myself, Maddie Turner, and then her name's Maddie. That's why it's Mad Chatter because we're all called oh, Maddie. Oh, she yeah. used to be the social media girl for the Swifts and it's now kind of gone into other avenues. But we do some interviews with with netballers. We do, um, yeah, we, we like to say we talk about pop culture and things like that. <laughs> Last week's that. episode, we literally just talked the whole time about things that make us angry. So <laughs> it's a bit of a rambling session but with a few interviews. So I think we'll have to do a crossover soon. Yeah, we'll, yeah, we'll dabble yeah. into the, the cricket world. But, um, yeah, just a lot of – we say, 
say we joke about chit chat because like one of our mums said, yeah, I think you need a little bit less chit chat in the podcast, and we're like, the podcast chit chat, so maybe don't listen. Now we did mention getting you in the nets, and you have actually played a cricket game. And we, I want to take it back. We had a celebrity match at Showground Stadium. Feeling that this wasn't televised. It should have been because Maddie took a screamer at Cow Corner. Like literally one of the best catches of the season. Like proper hardball. Like No, I was a It was like a plastic oh, the the like soft. Oh yeah. Yeah. But like it was red, looked like a good ball. From the sidelines they wouldn't have known. Yeah, exactly. It was yeah, hard I was just wondering because it bloody hurts. And if you're not used <gasps> yeah. to catching oh. them, I had to redeem myself because I think I was like, I didn't realise how scary well, I think it was the first game that I went and watched Daniel play. I was like that's how fast they bowl. Like I don't. I think when you watch on TV, sometimes you don't really get yeah. the full yeah. experience. And then I was like, "What? Like it's fast?" And yeah. obviously, I think I had C bass bowling to me, so it wasn't that fast. <laughs> but like the pitch, I was like, "This is scary." I was standing out in this, and then even my bowling, I was like, "God, just line and length, it's just get all the stuff." Yeah. I couldn't do that. So then I was feeling, and I was like, "You know, this should be my element. Like this is where I should be able to this to do me. it." And um, main character. Who moment. was batting? Was it Sammy? I think it might have been Los Smith. No, Lo- yeah, because yeah. she'd hit a couple of really long ones, and then I was like, I need to just get you know get some sort of redemption. I think she was getting a bit confident. Yeah, I'd like to say you know I was running back with the flight <laughs> of the ball, you know, eyes back. I think you know Mark like got a quarterback. Really yeah, it's following. You go close the eyes for a few seconds, just put the hands out, and it, and it found its way into my palm. But um, yeah, I, I think um, it was more of a redemption catch than anything. That's so good. I think I, I think it's definitely been overplayed. But um, I'm gonna I'm gonna claim it. Yeah, how was your celebration? Bit of the air. Yeah, I did the bloody yeah. throw. I, back in there. I think it really hit me back in the head. That was what I was like, oh shit, I've got to catch it after I've thrown it up. There was so much carry on. If you on. throw it after you catch it, as long as you don't throw it over the boundary, you're fine. Oh, is that like yeah. a rule? You can't if you throw- were to catch it and then like celebrate, throw it over the boundary, it's like six. Oh my Is God. it? I actually don't know. <laughs> Probably. Surely there's a amount of time that you've got to keep actually, in your hands before. Oh you can't God. just throw it out of the field. You can throw it after you've caught it. Oh, dear. People okay. are like, you Well, you know what? I think we might need to replay that because I think it might have gone somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> no, not the point. Did you go to the net? Catch. Did you go to the nets with um with Yuzi before? No, he didn't let me. He was well. So the thing was, he's so funny. Like, like oh, always, I'm like, let's go to the let's go to the nets. Let's do this. And I'm like, he's either intimidated by me or he just doesn't want to go to the nets. <laughs> I, I'm not sure which it is. But they even had a training session, uh, and I couldn't go to it in the end. And then I sort of thought oh, everyone's going to be in the same boat. Yeah. And then I get there and don't realize that half of them bloody ex cricketers, half of them have been like training and doing stuff. <laughs> and I, I'm really out of my depth here. So I probably should have gone to the nets, but I didn't. <laughs> no, we had a warm up before. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, so we had cheats on the podcast um, and you both are amazing waterbility ambassadors. How much of an impact has working with them had on you? Yeah, it's huge. I think when I first sort of got introduced to – so Steve Dresler is the man behind it all and he's sort of an ex-NRL player and we actually sort of had the same involvement through the same manager, which is how I know cheats. We've all got the same manager. And, um, yeah, when I first sort of met Steve and sort of just fed off his energy and kind of heard just how passionate he is about, you know, the whole organisation and I sort of just went out on a bit of a trial day. And, and the best thing about waterbility is that for those who kind of don't know what it is it's all just about you know providing everyday fun and kind of community access to people living with a disability and it's like it sounds so simple just taking you know a kid out for the day to the movies or taking them bowling or um you know taking them to sporting games and that's really where I've found that I've probably steered more towards you know I I don't do heaps of of um you know work with them in terms of actually taking participants out but I love being able to connect you know what ability with netball and with you know other you know we get so many um, networks and we meet so many people um, through our sport that being able to put Steve and what ability in touch with them to kind of 
create these opportunities is where I've sort of really found my passion and, you know, being able to get, we had a, a ball girl for one game, Bianca, who I'd worked with a bit before she came out and handed the ball at the Swifts game. And I know Bianca's parents actually. And, you know, that's the thing as well. It's, it's so great for the participants themselves, but it's also for the families. And, yeah. you know, these families probably don't get to go to sporting matches because they've got other kids and it's almost, it's too hard to be able to take them and they need a carer with them. And so being able to provide those opportunities and even the financial side of things, it is expensive having to, yeah. you know, live with someone that has a disability and all the extra costs involved with that, that, um, yeah, it's all these things that we probably take for granted that are just everyday experiences for us. And, um, you know, the mantra for affordability is just happiness comes first. And I think that, you know, again, that's just the core of, of what they're all about is just putting smiles on these kids' faces. And I think that anytime you see anything about affordability, everyone is just smiling, whether it's the workers, whether it's the families, whether it's the participant. And, um, yeah, it's just something that just makes your heart happy and makes you, yeah, feel like you're actually doing but it's, it's not even about like giving back to them it's like I feel like I get so much yeah. out of it because it brings you know me so much joy and um yeah I just think that seeing how much it's grown and how much you know the sporting world in particular is is embracing waterability is just so exciting and I think that there's yeah so much more that we could do in that space but we're definitely yeah, heading in the right direction well Mads that's all we've got for you and thanks for joining us we look forward to the final series coming up but also what's next for you Grace don't know the time. Yeah, I was yet, like, is but... it Grace off the court or Grace back <laughs> on the court again? Or like, how original are we going to get with the next time? If you need ideas, reach out. Yeah. Um, but otherwise, yeah, thanks a lot, Mads. And yeah, good luck for the next little bit. Thanks, Legend. Thanks for having me. We'll have to have you on the Mad Chatter podcast soon. Yeah, we can chit chat. Yeah. We'll be good. We'll chit chat. <laughs>